Thank you for listening to the weekly message from Trinity of Fairview. Here's Pastor Stacy Harris. We're going to look at three, four point one verses today. That's mathematically accurate, I hope. We're going to look at four point one verses today, starting at verse four. We're going to read down through verse eight a. We've been contemplating along these lines. How is your love life? Beginning this new year, 2015, how is your love life? How is it in the realm of your love life? I mean, uh, not, not what you're thinking, but how is your love life in relation to the agape love of God? How are you doing at allowing the love of God to, to work in you, to, to flow from you? Is the love of God the dominant feature of your life as a Christian? 1 Corinthians 13, one of the greatest passages in all the word of the Lord. Its context is spiritual giftedness. The Corinthian church had all the spiritual gifts. They were operating, and honey, they were very proud of it. They were not ashamed to say that they had all those gifts operating. Matter of fact, those gifts were about to take the place of the Lord Jesus Christ, even in their midst and their love for the Lord. Paul said to them in that moment, let me show you a better thing to be proud of. Let me point you to the love of God. Let me show you a better thing to have in your midst. Let me point you to the love of God. Now, he's not downing spiritual gifts. He's not uh, disputing their use or disallowing them. But what he is doing here is uplifting the preeminence of the love of God. See, the love of God must be the hallmark of our lives as Christian people. It must be the love of God that marks us. As a body of Christ, the love of God has to be the thing that marks Trinity of Fairview. When people look at us, the first thing they ought to say is those people love. Those people have the love of God. That's the thing that they ought to say. The Word tells us we ought to love one another. Man, I'm proud to be in a church where people love each other. I'm proud to be in a place I don't have to manufacture it and and make you love each other and referee fights on every hand. I'm glad that the love of God is here and that you naturally care for one another. I'm going to give you an opportunity. You know, I've always been told, if you love somebody, you ought to say so. You ought to wait till they're gone to tell how much you loved them. You ought to tell them when they're right here. So I'm going to give you a challenge. Find at least two people. You don't have to get up. Maybe lean over and hug somebody and tell them, hey, I love you. I love you. I love you. I'm thankful for you in my life. I just love you. Glad to have you in my life. I just love you. Praise be unto God. Amen. It's good to tell each other we love each other. Doesn't it feel good? Somebody says you love you, they love you and they mean it. Wow, what a what a thought. Somebody cares for you. How many of y'all are glad you have people around you that care for you? How many of y'all are glad for that? Praise be unto God. We'll ask you another question. How many of y'all are glad the Lord Jesus Christ loves you? How many of y'all are glad for that? That he loves you. You know, I'm going to ask you another question. How many of y'all today are glad you can say in your heart, man, I'm not perfect. I hadn't treated him right for sure. But in my heart, if, if I'm clear with myself at all, I love the Lord. How many of y'all are glad to say that? Man, you know what I can truly say? That I love the Lord Jesus Christ. How many of y'all can say that today? Man, what a thing to be able to say. If that's true in our lives today, we ought to tell him so. So today, on the count of three, we're going to call the name above every name, the name of Jesus Christ, and we're going to tell him we love him. You ready? And we're going to say, Jesus, I love you. One, two, three. Jesus, I love you. Y'all did good, praise be unto God. I don't mind. I don't think he'd mind if he heard it twice. So let's do it again on the count of three. One, two, three. Jesus, I love you. Praise be unto God. 
The love of God ought to dominate who we are. It ought to dominate us as Christians. It ought to mark us as the body of Christ. Paul begins to tell us about this agape love in this chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians. We've seen already love's excellence. Now, love may not be the easiest way, but, beloved, Paul tells us it is the more excellent way. That means better by far than any other way. Not better than some of the ways. Not better than a lot of the ways or most of the ways. He says it's better by far than any other way you can think of. If you want to do it in the best possible way, not a little bit better, but better by far, the most excellent way you can live your life is to live a life of service and love for the Lord Jesus Christ and love for your fellow man. If you'll do that, beloved, that's the best way you can ever undertake this Christian existence. Paul says it's the more excellent way. There is no substitute for it. We saw a couple weeks ago love's essentiality in verses 1 through 3. He tells us if you have not love, if you act not in love, if you choose not the more excellent way, then you say nothing, you are nothing, and you profit absolutely nothing. There's a zero on the positive side of the ledger that exists anywhere outside the motivating factor of the agape love of God in your life. You want to have nothing happen in your life? Do something outside of the love of God, and nothing will ever come of it. The love of God is absolutely essential. We better have it. Today, I want to begin to consider a more lengthy thought, not in, not in text, but in depth and in, and in breadth. We'll begin to consider today what I call love's essence. Love's essence. That's in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8a. Let's read it together. It says, love suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself. It is not puffed up. It does not behave itself unseemly. It seeketh not her own. It is not easily provoked. It thinketh no evil. It rejoiceth not in iniquity. Hallelujah but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, it believes all things, it hopes all things, it endures all things. And in verse 8a, we'll borrow this first phrase. Charity or love never fails. When we say the word essence, there are some things that come to our mind. The first thing I think of is a smell. When you think of the word essence, you think of an aroma. Some kind of smell uh, that, that catches, your, catches your nostrils. Man, I got back off of vacation. Thank you all for praying for us. We had the time of our life. Glad to be home, though. No place like home, I tell you that. I heard that it was going to be uh, icy and kind of mixed precipitation Friday and Saturday, and I thought, man, you know what would be good in that kind of winter, weather? A nice homemade pot of chili. How many of y'all feeling me? Man, praise be unto God. When it's cold like that, I'm thinking a nice pot of chili, that'd be good. So I set about making myself one when I got home. I browned the, the ground beef. Man, I had me some sweet onions and cut it up in that beef and oh, the aroma, baby. Just to, just to brown that beef with the onions in it. I put my sauce in the crock pot. I put the beef and the onions. Started adding my spices. Man, a clove of garlic. I mean, you got to have a clove of garlic and your chili. All these things that you, that you doctor your chili up with, a bunch of chili powder, poured it down in there. Man, I'm telling you, I got her just right. I put her in the crock pot, and I cut her on low for about six hours and just let her simmer, baby, just waiting, just waiting on the right moment to break in eating that stuff. And, man, every now and then, I 
I'd go just for no other reason than to smell it, than to lift the lid off that pot and, and stir it real good and put it back on. Oh, the whole house smelled just like that chili, beloved. I was in heaven just breathing, walking around the place in anticipation of what it would taste like. My dear wife came in the door late that evening. She opened the door and, and was around a little bit, and she looked at me and she said, Has a dog gone to the bathroom somewhere in the house? Have you failed to take the dog out? My country, the, what is that? I smell the dog. And it was my chili. I mean, oh, hey, my country, beloved. And what was a sweet fragrance to one in the house, beloved, was an offensive essence to another in the house. So I ate the whole pot in one night so she didn't have to smell it anymore. I mean, hey, hey, it was my privilege. I did not. She wasn't that hard on me. I'm giving her a hard time. She did ask that question. Essence, you think of a, of a smell. And I wonder, does your life have the essence, the aroma of the Lord Jesus Christ? Does it? When people are around you, is, is that the fragrance that your life emits? You know, I believe Jesus had a fragrance when he walked this earth. I believe you couldn't be around him without smelling the aroma and the essence of the kind of love that this world had heretofore never experienced. And I believe when you were close to him, you knew something was different about the way he cared for people. Church, that ought to be us. If the love of God is in us, the world ought to catch the aroma of the sweet rose of Sharon living in and through our lives. When we think of essence, we think of a, a smell. When I think of essence, I think of a of spice. You know, when you think of essence, you think of that, don't you? You think of spice. I'm going to cook in today, so we'll stay with that theme. There's one man I used to love to watch on his cooking show, Emerald, Emerald Lagasse. Y'all remember him? What was his favorite phrase when he was cooking? He would say, man, let's, let's kick it up a notch. Let's add some, some essence. And man, he'd throw something, some cayenne pepper or something in there. And what would he say? Y'all watched him too. He wouldn't say it like that, though. He'd, bam! That's why, hey, hey, bam! Let's kick it up a notch. He would always throw some essence, some spice in there. And man, our lives ought to be the spice. The love of God ought to be the essence that this world experiences when we come around them. When we come into their midst, it ought to somehow kick things up a notch around them. It ought to somehow spice the existence of their lives on this planet. The love of God in and through us ought to be the spice, if you will. They say variety is the spice of life, beloved. But love in and of itself is the beautiful spice that brings meaning to all of life. Without love, life is a meaningless, purposeless pursuit. But with the love of an almighty God, it's the most savory pursuit in existence that you'll ever undertake on this planet thirdly when i think of essence i think of the word substance and essence means this its definition is this it means the intrinsic nature of a thing the intrinsic nature of a thing you know what that means in western north carolina vernacular what is it that's what essence means what is this thing when you peel back the layers of it and you and you get down to the very heart and the very center of it what's there that's what a thing is. That's the essence of a thing. It talks about substance. What is a thing really at its core? What is it? Well, Paul in these scant four and a little bit more verses tells us what love is. And if love is the more excellent way, and if love is the essential element, then it begs the question, what in the world is it? What is its character? What does it look like? And Paul gives us great insight 
in these few little verses, he makes what I count as 16 distinct, yet really interdependent statements concerning the essence of love. Seven of them in the positive tone, nine of them in the negative tone, and they're all relationally oriented. Yes, there's other applications, but he relates them to the way that we relate to one another in this life, really. We will look through these in the next couple of weeks. We're going to step through them one at a time, and we're going to consider what is the essence of this thing. What is love, really? I want to begin with the first thought in verse 4a, and if you're taking notes, here's what you need to write down. Love is patient. I've read this at so many weddings. Love is patient. It's no accident that it begins with that. It's important, and it's what love is. Love is always patient. The word in the King James says this, charity suffereth long. That means it's self-restrained. That means especially in the face of provocation, there is that love acting not in retaliation, but in patience and self-restraint. They say that patience is a virtue, and it certainly is. If you have patience, you have a great thing in your life. You have a great asset in your life to be able to live in harmony with other people and to live in harmony with the Lord. If you have patience in your life, man, you've won a great victory. We need to learn to have patience with situations of life for sure. And when you see someone under that heavy load, when that disaster strikes their life, when that prolonged illness has been there for a long, long time, yet they retain who they are, they retain their spirit, they retain their faith in God, and they rejoice all the more even though they're going through these things. Don't you marvel and say, wow, they have patience with that kind of situation. There's a man in the Bible, and we use his name synonymously with patience. When we see someone with patience, what do we say? We say, they have the patience of Job, man, with those situations in their lives. How do they bear up? I don't know. It's a supernatural kind of patience with those situations. But really, what we're highlighting here is patience, not so much with situations, patience with people. And you know, patience with people is much harder than patience with a situation. Man, patience with a person is a difficult thing to achieve. Why? Because in the back of your mind, you're saying, man, they ought to know better. Why are they acting such a fool? Don't they have any intelligence? I mean, this is not something that they can't control. They're just acting like this. And man, a, a person grades on you when they're around you. It's difficult to have patience with people in your life sometimes. People will press you to the nth degree. But I believe the love of God is best displayed in our patience with one another. We need to learn to have this kind of patient love with strangers. Yes, you know strangers are going to come into your life. The enemy's going to make sure they do. And man, they're going to test your patience in a moment that in a way you never expected they could. They're going to cut in line in front of you. They're going to take advantage of you. They're going to push you to the nth degree. And you have a choice whether to say something with your mouth or, or think something in your mind or allow the love of God just to respond to their open, uh, open assault in your life. We need to learn as we go just to be patient with strangers. Doesn't the Word tell us that oftentimes we entertain who? strangers unaware angels i wonder sometimes if the lord just didn't say let me just show you how far you've come in the realm of patience in your life i believe sometimes he just allows things to happen especially when i get to thinking god i'm doing pretty good at this patience thing you better rest assured somebody gonna come across my path it shows me just how far i've got to go and being patient with those around me that i encounter 
You need to be patient not only with strangers. You need to be patient with your co-workers. Man, those people around you that you work with every day that have those annoying habits and do those same things over and over and over. It's going to take the love of God for you to demonstrate patience in their lives. For your friends, man, your friends will oftentimes let you down. Let me tell you, this pastor is going to let you down. What I ask is that you just deal with me with the agape love of God and be patient with the work that God is doing in and through me. We need to do that one for another with our fellow believers in Christ you know though sometimes the hardest people to have patience with are your family members sometimes you lose your patience quicker with them than you do with anybody else I've been married to my dear wife for 26 years if anybody has the patience of Job it's her I'm gonna tell you you live with this kid for 26 years you better have some patience beloved and she has it tribulation worketh patience the word said well Tammy's been worked up to her ears for 26 years I thought I was doing a whole lot better at this. We were on vacation. The wonders of technology nowadays. Man, we, uh, we, were, we were in a place we had no access to TV, but we had to see it. We had a thing going on that was pretty important to us, and we wanted to see a little bit of it and see an interview and see something happen positive in someone's life. So, man, I whipped out my, my smartphone. And what a, what a joy that anywhere you are, you can watch TV on a smartphone. I mean, the screen isn't as big as the one in your living room, but when you got no alternative, what a wonder of modern technology that you can whip that thing out and start to watch a TV station wherever you're at. We were gathered around that little thing. Not only is the screen not big, the volume will only go so high. So you're straining, you're cupping, you're doing all these things to try to increase the volume. Well, they were interviewing this young man. I, they were talking about him, and I really wanted to hear what they were saying. And my wife started to say something to one of our daughters. And you know what I did? I turned around and I said, shh. You know what I thought? Oh, my soul. I mean, uh, I thought, what have you done? What did you just do? I mean, 26 years of marriage, if you learn anything, you don't shush your wife anywhere, anytime, any place, beloved. You just don't do that. Not and live to tell about it. I mean, you just don't do it. I thought, oh, dear Jesus, what is she going to do? I couldn't even look at her. I acted like I hadn't done it and tried to watch the TV screen and go on with it. I thought, oh, Stace, man, this gonna, you've just ruined your vacation in one little moment. What have you done? Man, a couple of hours later, I got up the guts and the fortitude to approach the situation with her. I said, honey, I got to apologize to you. I don't recall ever shushing you in my life. I didn't do it out of a heart of malice, and I'm sorry. You know what she said? She said, Stace, I love you. The minute you did it, I didn't worry about it one instant longer. That's patience. That's looking beyond the momentary things in people's lives. And beyond that to the greater and more desired result that you have. And that dear lady, one of the reasons I love her, is because the love that she has for me is patient. It's long-suffering. She overlooks so many things. And waits on me to come to myself so many times. And that's the love of God. That's the kind of patience that the love of God raises up inside you. The one who has this agape love of God and displays it in patience relationally with people is the one who is. And if you want to write down anything, you ought to write this down. The one who is patient is the one who is willing to look beyond the moment and wait for the better and more desired outcome. 
love, my friend, acknowledges the fact that I want it now. How many of y'all ever think, man, God, I need you to act now. I need you to act now in my life. I want it now. Love acknowledges that desire, yet understands that the outcome that's needed is worth waiting for. I'm going to tell you something. I'm not going to say a whole lot good today. You can close your ears after this, but I find the greatest gifts of God that come into my life take time. I find the greatest things that He's ever given to me didn't come just like that. They came over time and patient waiting on the love of God to move in there. Love is patient, beloved. I'm going to ask you a question. How many of y'all are glad today that your Father in heaven is long-suffering and patient and kind? There's an old song. He looked beyond my faults and he saw my need. And I'm glad that when I fail him and when I find myself outside of his will and purpose, he doesn't deal with me harshly, but he deals with me patiently. And he's willing to wait on the good outcome of his hand at work in my life. Beloved, we're like him when we patiently love one another. Love is patient. Secondly, today, I want you to see this thought. Not only is love patient, I want you to see that love is kind. Verse 4a says, Charity suffereth long and is kind. It's kind. What is kindness? What does it mean to be kind? Well, it means to be friendly, to be generous, to be warm-hearted. Do you know that love always reacts with goodness? Love always reacts with goodness. Love is always kind. It may have to say something hard into your life, but it's always kind. It's always good. It's always friendly, and it's always winsome. This word carries with it. One writer put it this way, and I loved it. The idea of service. It always is about putting other people before itself. Love is always kind. Christian love, beloved, is kind. It's not ornery. Beloved, it's not crabby. It's not stingy. Christian love is always friendly, welcoming, generous, warm, and kind. How many of y'all could say you're fortunate in your life today to know someone who's just kind? How many of y'all could say you've ever encountered someone who's just kind, man? Isn't that special? Don't you find yourself drawn to them? Don't you find that there's something about them? Don't you find that what they're involved in, all of a sudden you want to be involved in? Don't you find that when you encounter that kind person that you even want to do business with someone who's kind rather than someone who's crabby and acting like you're bothering them to come into their place? Man, I'll go back way out of my way to a place of business where people are good to me and where people are kind to me and where they're genuinely glad I'm there. I'll drive a long way to do business with them before I'll drive across the street to do business with somebody that's treating me like they wish I had never come in the door. And man, love is that way. It's kind. 
I read a story of one lady who frequented her neighborhood post office often. She went in for every little thing. She wouldn't even buy a stamp uh, in a book form. She went for every letter she needed to mail. She'd go to the post office and buy one stamp and put it in the mail. She was in line one day. She showed up. It was out the door and down the sidewalk to buy stuff at the counter to mail packages. She just got in line. A man behind her could see that she only had one envelope that was already addressed and sealed and ready to go. He tapped her on the shoulder and said, Honey, you don't have to wait in this long line. There's a stamp machine right inside the door. All you got to do is go in there and buy you a stamp, put it on it, mail it, and you're on your way. You won't be standing around here all day. And she turned around and said, Sir, I really appreciate that, but that stamp machine isn't going to ask me how my arthritis is today. And you know what she was saying? She wasn't there at all to buy stamps. She was there because people there were kind to her, good to her, generous to her, winsome to her. And I'm going to tell you, I just can't help but believe that if the church of God would begin to display the agape love of God, would begin to just to be kind and winsome and good and generous to those we encountered, we'd show up here on Sunday morning and folks would be lined up in the parking lot to try to find a seat in this house right here if we loved in such a way as that. It says that love, beloved, is kind, it's generous, it's winsome. It always responds with goodness. Alexander McLaren, a wonderful writer, I've got a couple of quotes from him here I'm going to string together. He says this, he says, There's nothing so Christ-like as simply being kind. He says kindness makes the person attractive. And he says this, If you would win the world... Melt it and don't hammer it. I like that. He said, if church, if we're going to win the world, we got to learn we can melt it with the love of God and kindness rather than hammer it with the bludgeon of judgment and hatred. He said, if you want to win the world, learn that kindness, uh, the love of God flowing in and through you is what it's going to take to win the world. How many of y'all would like to win just Fairview, North Carolina for the glory and the honor and the praise of Jesus Christ? How many of y'all would like to see that happen? Let me tell you, we'll never roll the Bible up and use it as a hammer and beat people into the kingdom. It's only going to happen when we free ourselves to love beyond that and say we're going to love you just the way God loved us in spite of us and beyond us and above us and when we do that beloved we'll see this place change that we live in the bible says that love is kind well we should be kind with one another ephesians 4 32 says be ye kind one to another tender-hearted forgiving one another even as god for christ's sake has forgiven you even with those who hate us you say we got to be kind to people who are enemies yes matthew 5 44 says love your enemies Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them who despitefully use you and persecute you. Be kind and good to them. This Proverbs 25, 21 says this. If your enemy is hungry, give him some bread to eat. If he's thirsty, then give him something to drink. They're talking about the kind of kindness that is divine in your life. The kind of kindness that cannot be mustered up by a human individual the kind of love of god that's just naturally good generous and warm let me ask you a question how many of y'all are glad today that your heavenly father has been good to you
How many of y'all can look back in your life as I can? I can look back in my life and I can see his hand there. And the only thing I can say about his presence in my life is he has been kind. He has been good. He has been generous. He has blessed me, pressed down, heaped up and overflowing. Church, aren't you thankful today that we serve a God who is kind and good? How many of y'all could give him a great praise for his kindness and goodness in your life? That's who we serve. Beloved, we ought to reflect that goodness to a lost and a dying world. Love is patient, long-suffering. How much time I got? None. Love is kind. It always reacts with goodness. I want to just cover this one more thought, and then we're going to be done. He also tells us what love is not on some occasions here, and this is the first of those. He says love is not envious. Love is not envious. That word envy means jealous or covetous. It means this. It looks upon the possessions or gifts or successes of others with contempt. It means that when others are doing good and blessed, somehow that bothers me. And this usually occurs when someone's in the same line of work or someone in the same life situation or someone with the same kind of opportunities that you've had. You look around and see them and somehow you think they're doing better at it than you are. And the tendency is deep down inside to wish beyond hope that they'd find a bump in the road somewhere. And man, when they do, you're happy about it. It's that feeling you get at work when the golden boy has an off month and down inside you go, man, it's about time. It's that feeling you get deep down inside when that family member that everyone loves and extols and brags about their accomplishments has a setback in your life. The temptation is to go, man, finally, finally, finally. It's that feeling you have when that rival sports team that you pull against. Sometimes it's better for a team to lose than it is for your team to win in your life. I mean, hey, there's somebody else lost. Sometimes you go, wow, glory to God. It's about time they taste a little bit of defeat in their life. It's that feeling that he's talking about. It's that feeling of jealousy and envious. Now, I'm going to tell you, that's a mean-spirited thing. It's a, it's a jealousy-driven mindset. It's something that claps and laughs when those ahead of us are opposed by us, fail and falter. And you know, this can take root even in the ministry and even in Christian realms. We look around at people and we say, God, why are you blessing them and not me? I don't understand that. And they all of a sudden begin to struggle a little bit. And let me tell you what the enemy will do if you're not careful. He's going to plant that seed down in your heart that says something like, well, welcome to the party, chief. Glad you're here. It's not the way we should respond at all. You know what? We ought to be happy when one another succeeds. We ought to be joyful when we some, see somebody doing well and blessed to the Lord. When we see our brother or sister in Christ, uh, man, somehow he's elevated them and furthered them. Man, we ought to be the first to say hallelujah and praise be unto God. I'm thankful for what he's doing in and through your life. 
We ought to be people who, who hope for God's best in one another life. This spirit of envy and jealousy, that has nothing to do with the love of God. The love of God is happy when you're happy. And the love of God empathizes with you when you're down and suffering. Doesn't the Word say we, we rejoice together and we begin to, to weep together on several instances? That is the love of God that we share with one another. I'm going to tell you, if you ever feel this spirit creep up in your life, the best thing you can do is begin to pray for the person you feel it toward. You ought to pray something like this. Glory. Thank you, Jesus, that you've blessed them. Thank you, Jesus, that they're moving on. Thank you, Jesus, that they're up. Thank you, Jesus, that they're on a high plane with you. Man, I praise you, Lord, for what you're doing in their life. And when you begin to pray for somebody like that, you can't feel envy. You can't feel jealousy and hatred toward them. You can't feel it. I'm going to give you a chance to do something right now. I want you to grab two or three people right around you, and I want you to pray this prayer. God, I want you to pour out your best in this person's life. I want you to do it right now. Just turn, grab two, three, four, five, ten, how many ever of you there are. And I want you to pray right now. God, would you pour out your best? Don't hold anything back. Give them the best. Give them everything they need in this moment for life. Pour out your best in their marriage. Pour out your best in their finances. Pour out your best in their job. Pour out your best in their health. Pour out your best in their life, Father. I'm asking not for me. Listen, I find when I get my mind off myself and get my mind and prayers on somebody else that all of a sudden God's best gets in my life as well. So today, hey, pray for the best of God in someone else's life right now. Praise be unto God. God, give them your best. God, pour your best out, man, in their lives. Let's pray. Father, I love you. I take my place as the under-shepherd of this church right now, and I pray, God, for nothing less than your very best in the lives of your people. I pray that everything they need would be granted in the name of Jesus Christ. I pray that the things they don't need would be taken out of their life in the name of Jesus Christ. I pray against the enemy, Lord. He has plans for us, but they are not for our good. We receive your plans, your best in the lives of your people this day. And we receive the promise and the truth that whatever that is, it's going to work out for our good and ultimately for your glory. Lord, would you open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing on these people that they cannot receive. Lord, we, we rejoice. We rejoice together. We rejoice today that your best is on the way. Lord, as we look back some 2,000 years, we're reminded that you've already given the best that heaven had to offer in the person of Jesus Christ, your only begotten Son. And if you have given us such a gift, you'll withhold no other good thing from us. Father, we love you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Rejoice right now. Give the Lord a great praise, expecting that he's going to give your neighbor his very best in their life. Love is patient. Love is kind. It's not envious. It doesn't have that spirit of jealousy that creeps up and says, Wow, God, thank you for taking them down a few pegs. You know, there's a few phrases you ought to take out of your vocabulary as a Christian, and I hear them all the time. There's a few phrases you ought never utter toward your brother, sister in Christ. One of which I hate and I hear all the time is this, well, it must be nice. I hear it. Christian brothers, sisters, blessed. They have a good thing come into the life. Somebody doesn't say, well, hallelujah. What they say is this, it must be nice. You all never utter that 
That's born of that spirit of envy. How lucky can you get? I hear that all the time. Gosh, they're so lucky. Everything goes. How lucky can you get? That ought never be in your vocabulary. Y'all never say that about your brother, sister, in Christ. And we'll use this one sarcastically almost. When somebody encounters a hardship in their life, we say, well, bless their heart. Well, bless their heart. You know what we're saying? I'm glad they're finally getting a taste of what it means to struggle. That's the enemy's attitude in your life, beloved. And it ought to hold no place. It has nothing to do with the love of an almighty God. How many of y'all are glad today? I'm going to ask you a question. That your heavenly Father rejoices alongside you when you do well, experience well, and are blessed by Him. I believe all of heaven wants you to hit a home run. I believe all of heaven wants to see you prosper. I believe all of heaven is excited when things go well in your life. Love of God, what is it? Well, it's the love of Jesus Christ. It's Christ in you. It's patient. It's kind. Never is it in We hope you've been blessed by today's message. If you'd like to find out more about Trinity of Fairview, visit us online at trinityoffairview.org or call 828-628-1188.